invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, scripture reading for this morning, begins in verse 10. Through the end of the chapter, follow along as I read. Galatians 1 verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of the fathers. But when he who had called, set, set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to, into the regions of Syria and Sicily. And I, still, I was still unknown to the people to the church of Judea that are in Christ. Verse 23, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. If you missed last week, we began a sermon series in the book of Galatians. Galatians is only six chapters long. Uh, We're going to take 12 weeks to go through those six chapters, two, uh, two weeks per, per chapter. So we're in our second week, the second part of chapter one. The book of Galatians is really a letter. It's a letter to churches in Galatia. Galatia was not a one specific church. It was two multiple churches in that area. It was written because there was a crisis that had hit the church. That Paul had, had been part of the beginnings of this church in this region. And after he was gone, not long after he was gone, false teachers had infiltrated this church or these churches with a false gospel. And the people were believing it. They were being led astray. One of the effects of this, of this divisive non-gospel was that there was division within the church. These false teachers were undermining what the gospel truly was. We said last week that it was, they were undermining the New Testament doctrine of justification, which justification means being declared righteous based on the work of Christ, not on our works. That's what justification means. It might seem like a big word. If you're not from church or you haven't grown up in church, that might seem like a weird word. All we mean to say when we say that word is it's saying that we're saved because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. 
Kurt just explained that just a few moments ago. That is what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe. That's what Paul believed. And that's what this church was not believing. So Paul writes this letter in response to the crisis and he's calling them back to this view of the gospel of Christ. As I said, there's six chapters. If we just look at them in a a summary fashion, chapters one and two, we see Paul rebuking the church, defending his, his own authority as an apostle and defending the gospel that he was preaching. Chapters three and four, we see that that Paul gives the principles of this idea of justification. What it is. What is justification? We just gave a a very short answer. He gives two chapters to it. And thirdly, chapters 5 and 6, Paul gives the privileges of justification. What it means. Practically, how does it look in life to to live a life in in a justified condition? We just read the next section, chapter 1, verses 10 through 24, which we will look at together this morning. And here we see Paul continuing to defend himself and the gospel that he talked about earlier in this chapter. Uh, he's, He's doing this in order to reassure the Galatians that the gospel that they're receiving from Paul is authentic. There's a false teacher coming in with a different idea. And so Paul is trying to combat that. And one of the ways he's combating that is to to defend the authenticity of the gospel that he has received. The fundamental point here is that Paul did not receive the gospel from any man. Not from any person, not from any apostle even. He is making his case based on the origin of the gospel, where it came from, And the effect of the gospel, how it has transformed his very own life. Those are the two sections we'll look at this morning. First, the origin of Paul's message. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Verse 10 is kind of a transition from what he was just saying in verses 1 through 9 to what he's going to say in verses 11 through 12, excuse me, 11 through 24. And Paul is saying that that this gospel, this message is not for man's approval. I'm not saying this so that that you like it. I'm not saying this to please you. I'm not saying this to to make you feel, feel better. He's defending himself and the gospel. And he asks these two rhetorical questions. Right? Like that, right? Rhetorical. Make sure if you knew knew what rhetorical meant. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Rhetorical. Well, well, of course he means God, right? Of course that's what Paul is inferring. Or am I trying to please man? Well, of course, no, he's not trying to please please man. He's he's making a a point that obviously it is man. He's putting these two opposite goals, man and God, the approval of man or the approval of God up against each other. They're incompatible. You cannot please God and please man. Jesus said that. You you will either serve me or you'll serve serve man or money. That's how this works. What What is going to be your the, the, the thing that, or the one that you seek to please. Paul is saying 
that he was seeking the approval of the Lord, not of man. Paul was basically saying something like this. Does this, what I just said in verses 1 through 9, does this sound like an example of pleasing man to you? Does, does this sound like something that, that I'm trying to, to get somebody to, to like me? He, he just gave the, the gospel in verses 3 and 4. Does that sound like man-pleasing gospel? No, it doesn't. It sounds like God-pleasing gospel. That's Paul's point. He's saying that that is not what I'm doing here. I'm not trying to gain your approval. I'm not doing this in fear of you. I'm not living in fear of man. I'm not trying to say something just so you like it. And we could spend a lot of time talking about this idea of being approved by God or approved by man. We call that the fear of man. And Paul was not living in the fear of man here. But you know what? Some of us do. Some of us struggle whether we want people to think well of us or God to think well of us. We're not going to take time this morning to go into that. There's lots of, lots of areas of Galatians that, that we're not going to be able to spend a lot of time in, in these morning uh, messages. But tonight we're going to spend some time talking about the, the, the answer to the fear of man. So I invite you to come back tonight. If he were trying to please man, he would no longer be serving the Lord, which would call into question his apostleship, right? what, he's actually, what he's actually called to do. Secondly, Paul's message was not man's gospel. This was not what, what was given to him by men, verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, this is the first time he calls them brothers in this chapter. He's going to do it eight more times in the rest of the book. But, so he is calling them brothers. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that, I was, that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor as I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this sounds kind of familiar, this not of man, um, not of man or from man. You look back in verse 1, that's what he says about his apostleship. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man. So Paul was saying that not only was his apostolic commission, not only was he, he being an apostle not from man, also this gospel, his gospel, the apostolic gospel was not from man, but it was from the Lord. The origins of both are from the Lord. He received this gospel, meaning no human was the ultimate source of the gospel message. He received this message, he says, through the revelation of Jesus Christ. As with his apostleship, so too with his message, the source matters. How did this gospel come to be? Why could we trust this gospel? Why could the Galatians trust the gospel? Why can you trust the gospel? Why is this the gospel and everything else a false gospel? Because of who delivered the gospel? Because it came through Christ. This gospel is a mystery. It's strange. Last week we talked about substitution and how substitution makes the gospel revolutionary. That, that, that's crazy that you need a substitute in order to be saved. C.S. Lewis says, Christianity must be from God for who else would have thought it up? It's crazy. It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And if you say it doesn't make sense to me, and that's, that's a, a hurdle for you, well, join the club. It doesn't make sense. That's kind of the point. 
God's ways are, are not your ways. God's thoughts aren't your thoughts. That's okay. That's okay if it doesn't make sense to our human understanding. Christianity must be from God because no one else would have made it up. What we would have made up is work your way to Jesus. That's, that's what we do. That's our way. That, that's the, the system of salvation that we set up. I'll do enough good so that, that God will, will accept me. Right? How many times have you heard someone say that? How many times has, has that been the barometer by which someone has confidence that they're going to heaven? If I do good enough, that is not the gospel. Thank God that's not the gospel. Because all of us, I don't care who you are, would be in trouble. Paul then moves to give his second argument in the rest of this chapter. And he gives an argument from his own history of how the gospel has actually transformed his own life, his own mission. Here we see an outline. We see an outline of Paul's life story. We could see, say it's, it's his testimony. That might be insider language. It, it's, it's the story of what God did in his life. It's the story of how God's grace changed him. And we see it in three parts. The first part is what his life was like before meeting Jesus. The second part is when he actually met Jesus. And the third part is what does life look like now that he's met Jesus? So first, life before or life without Christ. His pre-conversion. Read, read with me in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life. That's, that's the former, that's before, right? In Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond my, many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul's former life in Judaism showed that he was passionate. He was knowledgeable. He was active. He wasn't a, a Jew in name only. He was active. He was a zealot. There's two aspects here that he gives of his former life. And the first one is in verse 13, that he persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. If you want to read more on that, go back to the book of Acts. You can look at verse chapter 8. Chapters 8 and 9 would be kind of the story there. But he persecuted. He did it violently or beyond measure, as another translation would say. He tried to destroy. He was wreaking havoc on the church of God. And he calls it the church of God here. He's identifying, at least at this point now, that this church was God's church. When he was doing it, he didn't believe that. But now he looks back and he does understand that the church is God's church. What's the point? The point is that Paul was a bad man. He was not a good man. He persecuted the church of God. Before he knew Christ, he persecuted Christ. And you say, where, where do you say, see that he persecuted Christ? We see it in, in Acts chapter 9 when he is on the road to Damascus and he sees the light and he hears the voice. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, Lord, is that you? Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, it's me. What's that? What, what, are we, what are we to make of that? That Jesus identifies with the church. 
That you take a shot at the church, you take a shot at Jesus. That's why this idea of, of churchless Christianity is a no-go. It's a non-starter in the Bible. If you know Christ, being part of a church is not an option. That's biblical. That's, exa- that's normal. That's natural. That's what they would have done. That's what the early church did. We have this idea of institutional, organizational church being somehow bad. Are there bad churches? Of course there's bad churches. Because there's bad people. And we're all sinners. There is no perfect church. But the point is, is that God's church is God's church, which makes it important to God. The second aspect of Paul's former life is found in verse 14, where he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers. What's that mean? It means that that Paul was no slouch when it came to what Judaism was about. He, he, was a, he was a pretty smart guy. He was, he was into it. <laughs> Traditions played a big part in being, in, in being a Pharisee. And, and Paul played the part. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, Paul's own words about himself. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Uh, circumcised the eighth day of the people of, of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews. And he's saying, I had the lineage. Like, if anybody was, was in, it was me. Like, I, I, had the, I had the line. I had the people. I had the, the right everything. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. I did everything right, he said. I, I not only had the heritage, the lineage. I was doing the, the, the Pharisee stuff. I was doing the religious stuff. And I was doing it all right, if anybody says, look, look at me, it's Paul could say, look at me. He goes on to say, but those things that I, I, I've counted as righteousness, I, I count them now as the opposite of that, as refuse. They, they, they don't mean anything. They don't gain me anything. But what it does tell us about Paul is that, that he was enthusiastic about the things of Judaism. He was a fanatic even, which makes his story all the more amazing of what happens. Now, as we hear this story of Paul, I do want to just caution us just for a moment that it would be really easy for us to fall into a comparison trap right here. And we could look at the Apostle Paul and be like, well, I mean, I haven't been killing Christians lately. So, I mean, goodness, I'm doing, I'm probably doing okay. Like, I'm not that guy, right? So, man, if there's any sort of spectrum here, I'm, I'm not on that end. So, I'm might be feeling pretty good about myself right now. The story is not meant to be comparative. It's not for you to compare yourself with the Apostle Paul. It's for you to see what it looks like to not follow Jesus. What it looks like to not follow Jesus is to rebel against Jesus. And you don't have to be killing Christians to rebel against Jesus. You can rebel against Jesus in far less aggressive ways. And for some of us who remember what it's like to not be a Christian, we can probably tell you some of those ways. Some of those subtle ways. Some of those ways where we just ignore God. Some of those ways where we just put God on the back burner. We don't care about what he has said. We don't care about what Jesus Christ may or may not have done. That's rebellion too. So lest we somehow 
feel morally superior to Paul because we haven't done what Paul has done. That's not the point. We're supposed to see how, see Paul as an example, how sins require the death of Christ. Paul's sins required the death of Christ, and guess what? My sin required the death of Christ too. Your sin required the death of Christ too. One of the things we've told our kids since they were little, when they sin, understand, that's sin. Christ had to die for that sin. It's not to guilt them. That's to help them recognize the significance of sin. That there's no small sin. So when we look at the Apostle Paul, we, we see a sinner, and we should actually see ourselves in our lost condition. Paul is stating that he was far, he was far from God. But then we read verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Don't you love that? Reminds us of places like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. When Paul tells us that we're dead, we're, we're, serving, the, we're serving the prince of the power of the air, Things, we're, we're running after our own lusts. And then verse 4 comes in, says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ and raised us up. But God, God intervenes. One notable thing as, as we look, as we listen to verses 13 and 14, and then we read verses 15 and 16, we see an emphasis change. In verses 13 and 14, we hear the, the, the pronoun I, how I persecuted the church of God because I was advancing in Judaism. Extremely zealous was I for the traditions of the fathers. And then we come to verses 15 and 16, it says, but when he who has set me apart before I was born and who, that's God, called me by his grace and he was pleased to reveal his son, his son to me. Notice the change. Paul's talking about himself, what he was doing. Now he's talking about what God was doing. It's the change of the gospel. For all his fanaticism, Paul was no match for God. And this ought to strengthen your soul. You might know someone in your life right now who doesn't know Jesus, and you might think they're, they're a mile away. They're a hundred miles away. They're a thousand miles away. They, they, they'll, they might never. How could they ever? Think about Paul. Paul. Paul didn't inch by inch get closer to Jesus. Paul was in the moment opposing Jesus. He literally was going to find Christians to persecute. He wasn't coming closer. Sometimes we say, oh, they're getting closer. Or they're starting to ask good questions. Not that that's wrong, but this guy wasn't doing that. And in a moment, but when he, but God intervenes. Salvation is God's thing. It's not your thing. God saves the soul, not you. You don't save anybody. That's a load off your shoulder, friend. That's not your job. You have a job. That's not it. That job's taken. God's already doing that. Your job is to tell. That's it. Speak. A witness. Tell what God has done. 
It's God who is moving here. It's God who is converting. We are no match. When God calls, man answers. First part of this section, we see this. But when he who set me apart, set me apart. Uh, To be set apart means to be separated, right? God was involved in planning Paul's conversion, right? Um, one, One commentator says it like this. I'll just read this for you. There is perhaps an illusion in way of contrast. As the word Pharisee, means separated or separatist. So Paul was saying, I was once a so-called Pharisee, or I was once a so-called separatist, but God has separated me to something far better. Isn't that great? A play on words that you can't see, we can't see that in the English. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, he set me, this Pharisee who's a, a separatist, he set me apart. He was involved in this. He did it. He, he had a plan for my life. And he did it before I was born. This speaks to God's sovereign grace of God planning before the found. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, to which he has blessed us in the beloved. It is God. It is God who is at work here. It's God that does the saving. He set Paul apart before he was born. He had a plan for Paul. This underlines a theme throughout the whole Bible of God sovereignly working all things together for his good. We can look at a number of stories in the Old Testament of how God is plotting for his own glory and our good. Stories like Joseph is an easy one, right? Where terrible, terrible things happen to this man. You might say, man, the guy can't catch a break. Just one bad thing after another bad thing after another bad thing. And he seems to be doing everything right. If you ever hear someone in any way, shape, or form who's a Christian say that you do good for God and God do good for you, that is a lie. Friend, if you believe that today, let me help you. There are story after story after story in the Bible that tells us the very opposite of that. We had a man do everything right. You know what his end was? He was murdered. The only one to ever do everything right for God, Jesus, and he was murdered. What's that tell you? It tells you that that's not the point. That's not the point. That's not the equation. That's not the biblical framework for how you live your life. The blessing of God does not come just because you obey. The storyline in the Bible is that God is working something far greater than just your happiness. Sorry to tell you that. Do we want to be happy? Of course we want to be happy. But you look through the Bible, and there's a lot of people who suffered a lot. You might say, how do you explain that? You explain it this way, that there's something bigger than you. That's what. That your suffering actually is meant for the glory of God. Now, I understand. I will readily agree with you right now that that preaches easier than it lives. 
get that. It doesn't make it less true. Called me by his grace. Called me by his grace. God's gracious call was on Paul's life. Salvation is all of grace. It's God's work of grace. And you need it and I need it. We all need grace. Martin Luther said it this way. We are all beggars. This is true. We're all beggars. We're all absolutely in need. And here's the good thing about God's grace. It's free. It's free. That's crazy. That seems unlikely, but it's absolutely true. It's startling, but it is absolutely necessary. For if grace was not free, then it stops being grace. You need it, and God can give it. Timothy Keller says it this way, No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they cannot receive the gospel. You're not so good that you don't need it, and you're not so bad that you can't get it. It's for everyone because everyone needs it. Next, Paul says that God was pleased to reveal his son to him. God was pleased to reveal Jesus to Paul. Not because Paul was of any, any merit, because God chose to do that. It pleased him to do that. We could say it this way, God loved Paul, not because he was lovable, but because God chose to love Paul. And so for Christians today, listen, God loves you and you can do nothing about it. You can't, you can't change it. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less. He was pleased to reveal his son to Paul. What was God pleased to do? Reveal the son. This speaks both to his, his conversion, uh, revealing him on the road to Damascus, but also in order for him to show Jesus to others. Or said def- differently, God revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul. He revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul. I would say the same is true for us. That God has saved you so that other people can know of his saving work. Paul's conversion was all of God. Neither his apostleship nor his conversion was of man. But what about, what about after his conversion? What about what about? His life afterwards, was that of man? He goes on about life with Christ. He says that that this was all in order that he might preach him, that's Jesus, among the Gentiles. God called Paul in order for Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But the main clause of verse 16 is actually the next section, the next part of that verse. It says, and I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul's saying, listen, after after Christ was revealed to me, I didn't go get an education from anybody. I didn't go get, get, get this information, and now I'm giving to you what they gave me. That's not how this works. And he goes on to give a, a very specific timeline of what he did and when he did it. 
One, one commentator calls these alibis. Like this is where he was and this is what he did and this is what he didn't do and I didn't talk to this person but I, I was with this person. We're not going to go through each one of those but the point was is that this gospel didn't come from other apostles. I was converted and Jesus revealed this to me and I am bringing it here to you. But what we do see in that section is as much as it was not revealed to him from the apostles. It wasn't singularly his gospel, meaning it was in agreement with the other apostles. Paul was not preaching a different gospel than the apostles. He is just simply saying that Jesus gave him this gospel. These verses, verses 17 through 23, detail Paul's growth and his development and his change after coming to Christ. Where again, as he did not get this, this gospel from other believers, he was connected with other believers. He was connected with the, the church of God, the family of God. And we are a family of God. And Christianity is not a, a, a solitary pursuit. We need each other. You might not think you need anyone else, but that's not true. But even if you were to think that, how about think of it this way? Maybe someone needs you. Sometimes people would say, well, what does it matter? What does it matter if I'm here on Sunday? No, no one might even miss me if I'm not here. Or I don't need to be there. I can read my Bible on my own. As, this is, as if this is only about you. As though you're sitting here in a group of 300 people and this is only about you. Step back, friend. There's more of us than you. There are persons because there is a people. We are a community. We are a faith family. We use that language, but do we even know what it means? God help us to know what it means. But we as a church are not just about information. Listen, part of my job as a pastor is to help you get on the path and help you stay on the path all the way home. It's the job. It's to help us see the scriptures, know the scriptures, and stay on the path. Till the day you die. That's my job. Sometimes it's actually been said, the pastor's job is actually to prepare people to die. To be ready for, to, to, to die. Or are you ready? Man, we're preaching the gospel from Galatians to help people know what the gospel is. So they might believe and be saved. So they'd be ready to die. The change in Paul's life was extreme. It was radical. Verse 23 says that they only heard that this was the one who persecuted, but now is preaching the faith that he was trying to destroy. Paul went from being a persecutor to a preacher. He went from being a terrorist to an evangelist, from an opponent to a proponent, to an ab- from an adversary to a missionary, from stopping the message to spreading the message. That's what the gospel does. The gospel changes us. That's not what the gospel's supposed to do. That is what the gospel does. Change is not an option for the Christian. It is not an option. It's not like become a Christian and then decide whether or not you're going to change. You got that wrong. Change is not the option for being a Christian. It is the nature of being a Christian. Paul talks about the obedience of faith. A life that is changed by Christ. There's evidence of that life in the way we 
live. Finally, verse 24, they glorified God because of me. They glorified God because of me. Paul said that they glorified God because of the transformation that happened in Paul. They, they saw this man who once persecuted, but now is preaching, and they gave glory to God. They didn't give glory to Paul. They gave glory to God. This is in contrast to how the, the Gentiles were treating Paul, by, by doubting him, by questioning him. These people, when they heard of Paul's conversion, they gave glory to God. And once again, we see it. We see it what we saw earlier last month, that God's goal is God's glory. And here again in Paul's life, it's about God's glory. And that's true for you too. That Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that we're to be salt and light so that others might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's the goal. The goal is God's glory. Paul is defending himself here and his gospel. He is showing that this is not from man, but from God. He gives us his story, right? Life before Jesus, meeting Jesus, and life after Jesus, or with Jesus. And I just want to ask you, what's your story? What was your life like without Jesus? When and how did you come to meet Jesus? And what is your life like now with Jesus? If you know Christ, you should be able to answer those three things. That, that is what a testimony is, by the way. A salvation testimony, that's the language we use. That, this is it. What, what was life like before? H how and when did you meet Jesus? And now where's the evidence of such, such faith that you claim? God's grace has been given so that we can give it. It's given to give. It's evidence Giving grace is evidence that you've received grace. Or as Brennan Manning says in his book, All is Grace, all is grace. It is enough and it is beautiful. We see the grace of God through the person and work of Jesus. But it is only through the work of Jesus that we too can know this grace. We can see it. But it's only through the work of Jesus, through believing it, that we can know it. Paul displayed it. How's your life? In what ways are you displaying the gospel of grace today? If you don't know that gospel, my invitation to you today is to come. Repenting of your sins and believing on Jesus by faith alone. Let's pray. God, may it be true. May by grace alone we come to you in Christ alone for the faith, for the, the salvation that only you give. God, we recognize this morning that it's all Jesus. Without Christ, we have, we have no hope. So Father, this morning, as we respond to this, these great truths, would you help our hearts to believe? For those with us that don't know Jesus today, I pray for them that they would hear of this gracious God who loved them and they would respond in faith even now, even this very moment, that just silently in their, their heart of hearts, knowing that God hears, they would repent of sin, knowing that Jesus died for that sin, believing that, asking Jesus to save them, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will be saved. God, would you do that even this morning? For those that know you, and we examine our heart and our life to see if we could 
share a, a testimony like Paul did of the evidence, the evidence of a transformed life. Oh, may it be so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.